Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast, where I sit down with my truly good friend at this point, which is funny because uh, we have never met in person. I sit down with Dr. Summer Lede, who is a licensed psychologist. She's an anxiety expert. She is in the, I believe she would describe it as rural Louisiana. Um, She's just an incredible human being that I've had the privilege of meeting because we both are psychologists who have online programs and we started working on it at the same time um, a little over a year ago in the fall of 2020. And we have become close friends. And I brought her on today because we're going to talk about living consistent with your values and how to really dig deep and clarify your values in a in a very practical, real way. This is the thing that Summer does so incredibly well is she makes everything very, very relatable. She's um, just really one of the easiest people to talk to. And so we're going to cover in this episode um, primarily, you know, what does it mean to clarify your values, why you should care about it, and how you can use your values to motivate true change for you. And we're also going to cover this idea of like, if it's comfortable for you to reflect on your values, then you might be doing it wrong and what, what that means and what you can do instead. And so I think this is going to be a really powerful, um, helpful conversation. We also talk about um, Summer's relationship with food and her body, which is something she really hasn't shared much about in the past, um, even though she shares a lot about herself online. Um, and it's interesting because we talk about what shifted things for her and how it actually didn't have to do with therapy or treatment. So I think that that conversation is really interesting too. When we just think about relationship with food and body and how it's just such a personal experience in terms of what helps and what doesn't help. And so um, I'm really excited to dive in. We get some kind of practical, tangible things you can ask yourself to get dig deeper on your values. And I can't wait to have you listen in on this conversation with my good friend, Summer Lene. Have you ever thought, 
All of this self-love, body positive stuff sounds great and all, Sean, but I ultimately still want to lose weight. Can intuitive eating help me with that? Or you've been saying to yourself, I'm not really worried about vanity or being super thin. I truly just want to be healthy. Does this non-diet approach really make sense for me? Or you've just been really frustrated with yourself, frustrated with your body, and you're just not totally sure how to get out of the diet cycle. If you're feeling stuck in the diet cycle, are interested in learning more about intuitive eating, but don't know really where to start, or you're feeling frustrated, lonely, and uncomfortable in your body, listen up. I am hosting a brand new free masterclass that is going to be delivered live for a very short period of time in the last two weeks of March. In this live masterclass, I'm going to be answering the top five questions that I get all of the time about intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. So you're going to learn what intuitive eating is and how it impacts your weight. This is a topic that a lot of people don't explicitly talk about, but we're going to cover it um, in in this class. We're also going to learn why so many of us get stuck in the diet binge cycle, even if we truly are doing it to improve our health, not just trying to be thin. We're going to talk about why simple habit changes can feel so darn hard. And we're going to talk about this little known secret factor that is most likely holding you back from optimal wellness. I do these live masterclasses very rarely. So this is a very unique opportunity to come hang out with me, learn, have fun, get all your questions answered about these crucial topics. Even if you can't make the times available, be sure to still sign up. You'll get a replay sent to you the following day. I and my team work really hard to make these trainings packed with the most important information that I've learned personally and professionally over the past 18 years or so of doing this work, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Additionally, for the first time ever, there's a special bonus as part of this live masterclass if you're able to show up live. I'm actually going to be breaking down some of the top products that I get asked about, and none of these products are products that pay me. I have no affiliate income from these products. You're just going to get my honest opinion about the pros and cons of different products, such as the Peloton app, such as Noom, such as some meal delivery services. And you're going to get my thoughts about how you can look at the pros and cons for yourself and decide if it's worth investing your money into these types of services. So that's going to be a really valuable bonus that you will get if you come to the masterclass. And finally, at the very end of the masterclass, I'm going to be talking about my group coaching program, the Body Respect Program. This is a program that I'm incredibly proud of, and we start a new cohort of people in early April. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that and all that is involved in this incredible experience, then you'll want to make sure you sign up for the masterclass and check that out. So make sure that you sign up today for free by going to the link in the show notes or by going to drshawnhondorp.com forward slash masterclass. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash masterclass for this totally free value-packed training. I can't wait to see you there. And as usual, before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need support in figuring out how these topics apply to you, please be sure to seek out a professional in that area to help you do so. All right, let's dive in. 
All right. Welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I have a very, very special guest today, Dr. Summer Lede. Dr. Lede is a good friend of mine who um, is going to introduce herself in a little bit. But um, basically, yeah, we met on the internet. When did we meet, Summer? How long has it been? Back in Fall of September 2020. Yeah. So um, we have become internet friends and quite good ones. And you just told me yesterday though, that you have not seen my, my legs and my bottom half ever. And then, <laughs> so, right. Well, uh, after this zoom, I'll stand up and be like, here's my, here's, here's my legs, my legs, here's my, here's my upper thigh. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I'm super excited to be talking today to get to know you a little bit better in this specific realm. Cause we haven't specifically talked about some of these things we're going to dive into, but, um, I really, uh, you know, brought you on primarily as your, as with your expertise with regards to values, clarification, living consistent with your values, I know is really something that you talk to people about and teach people about online with your online program. Um, as well as, you know, just something I know that you work every day to practice because we talk about it all the time. And so I'm really excited to talk about all these topics with you today um, and kind of get into some main takeaways for how people can live more consistently with their values as well. So I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So let's start with having you tell us your story. Who is Summer and what is she all about? Yep. So my name is Dr. Summer Lede. I'm a medical psychologist out in Southern Louisiana. I'm a wife since 2015 and a mom of two toddler boys um, and anxiety disorder expert. Um, and since 2020, when Sean and I met, um, I created a digital program. So since then it's become a group coaching program called the get present system. And it's really targeted to really help high achieving working moms finally actually enjoy the life that they've worked so hard to create without being paralyzed by anxiety and not without having a fake being okay. Because so many of us high achieving people just power through and fake it till we make it. And this like immersive experience that I've created is, is truly the full solution to helping people break free from that paralyzing stuck cycle that prevents them from living their values. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at right now, girl. Yep. It's been a wild, wild ride since we've yes, known each has. other. <laughs> yes, it has. It's been an insane couple of years, but values, values are keeping both of my feet on the ground most days. Good, good. Well, um, I'd love to get a little background about your relationship with your, with your body and food, um, because this is something you've briefly mentioned to me, but I don't know a lot about it. So can you share more about that with us? Yeah. And just as we, right before we started recording, I was just mentioning that it's really not like a journey that I've shared much at all. Um, and so it's time I'm excited to get to discuss this and process it out loud with you, the expert. So it's, it's good timing. Um, Mm -hmm. but I've had an experience that is extremely common as I've learned through working with women behind the doors of the therapy room, um, from jump street as basically as far back as I can remember, I always felt like my body wasn't okay. Um, 
to give you a little bit of background, um, my, I have one sister and my mom, um, that's the us three girls in my family. And they are both in like 90 pound bodies. They're like five feet tall, like 90 pounds. They're just naturally very, very petite women. Mm-hmm. And, um, so seriously, as far back as I can remember, no matter what my weight was, I always felt like I was too big. Like I always felt like the big one in every picture that I can remember since I was like, as far back as I can remember, I'd just be like, ill, like looking mm-hmm. at the, because I was always yeah. next to the, you know, yeah. and, and I, it's, it's interesting to think back how far that stuff goes. And I can also just always remember my mom's relationship with her own body and her mm-hmm. always perceiving herself as not okay. Um, and even though she never said to me, like, I'm fat, I'm disgusting, nothing like that explicitly, it was always implied that she wasn't okay, that she wanted herself to look different, that she didn't appear the way she wished that she would appear. So in my young brain, and I believe that this is also a common experience, I assumed if mom is quote unquote fat or broken or not right in her body, then I'm definitely not because I'm not five foot tall, 90 pounds. Like it was this Mm -hmm. association with me not being okay for as far Mm -hmm. back as I can remember. And I mean, that just kind of blossomed. Like, um, once I got to college, I mean, I remember dieting, like restrictive dieting starting in high school. Like I would, um, go hard in the paint, as they say, like weeks before a dance or something, you know, just like starve myself. I mean, you know, like that was unfortunately very common too. I was not the only one doing that. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. but I can also remember as far back as like in high school doing that restrictive behavior, but then also pairing that with like binge type private eating. Um, mm-hmm. like I can remember starting early on, probably when I got my license at 15, so probably by 16, like going pull through the drive through eating something in my car and then, um, and then going home and acting like I hadn't eaten. So it was like, I was already doing this shame-based behavior with the full belief without questioning that my body was not okay. And that just blossomed. Like as I got to college, I went through some really deep, dark grief periods related to loss and breakup. And, um, by my senior year in college, um, like I I had a full bone eating disorder. Like my weight swung from like, I won't give numbers, but like I was swinging drastically. Like I got really, really unhealthily thin for a while, like to the point where my family, like, I remember I was standing in a wedding and my mom had to like, bring me a Coke. Cause I was about to pass out. Cause I was so underfed, you know, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. underweight at that time too. Mm-hmm. And then like m- only months later in like a three month period, I gained like 40 pounds because it, it was just swinging. I was just so dysregulated and I was hurting so bad. And I know we talked about, um, in our previous discussion about, um, seeking control when we don't have control. And for me, in retrospect, that's absolutely what was going on. Like, um, there was so many things that felt out of my control at that time. Mm -hmm. I was hurting so much. Like I was uh, really grieving the loss of a relationship and, um, it just had me on an emotional roller coaster, and I was super dysregulated and I was just channeling all of that into my eating behavior because from the outside looking in, I was still doing great. Like I was making straight A's in school. My social relationships were quote unquote flourishing. Like everything was fine, quote unquote mm-hmm. fine. Right. But it was very much like inward directed suffering. And I mean, I, as I told you, I didn't get treatment for it or anything and I'm not advocating for that. I mean, now this is over 20 years ago, you know, um, I don't, I I would do it different now. I would. And I really genuinely mean that. Um, I don't think it was in my best interest to isolate to that extent, but that is 
the state of mind that I was in at that time. And what changed that for me was um, actually moving out of state for grad school. It's like, it just busted me out of the pattern. It was like getting space from a mom and sister. God bless their beautiful souls. I love them so intensely and they truly are my best friends. And I mean that like with every ounce of myself, but getting physical space from them helped me to break out of this like really dark relationship I had with my own physicality, you know, cause I saw other shapes and sizes and ways of being in the world and ways of respecting and interacting with your own body. Mm-hmm. And it just mm-hmm. freed me. And I got away mm-hmm. from the toxic relationship that I was still struggling with and grieving and where did and you go to of. grad school? Like how far was it away? It was a 12 hour drive. I was in, um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but I did graduate school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So okay. it was about a 12 hour drive. Gotcha. So it was far enough away to where I really had some legitimate space yeah. from some of my maladaptive private shame patterns that I had gotten stuck in. Okay. And did you get other form like general therapy or not at all? Cause I know at you said you didn't time- get at that time, I didn't since okay. I've had tons of therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that from what you talked about, but <laughs> I'm all but, up in that therapy room now, girl. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I will be there at any time. <laughs> Who else wants to talk to me? I got a, ther- I got a mental health therapist, a physical therapist, a functional medicine doctor, like put me in the therapy. I want all of it. <laughs> Business coach. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes. Give me the therapy, but I've learned a lot. I mean, yeah, I really do yeah. feel like it's through my, through my isolation and shame, which has come up a lot today in our conversations, like that, that level of loneliness has become the catalyst for a lot of the work that I still do to this day. Cause I can see now that you can be free because mm-hmm. now I, I truly do not experience that kind of loneliness in my life anymore. And, um, I'm not going to say I don't at times struggle to self-disclose when I'm having a hard time. Mm-hmm. That's another conversation we've had, but now mm-hmm. I'm willing to, and that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Now I do understand that I'm not alone and that these struggles do not make me broken or Mm -hmm. sick or anything. There's no pathology because I'm having a difficult human experience. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't have enough evidence to understand that. And it wasn't, I hadn't observed anybody struggling in that way and working through it. And even though I was in grad school, telling people to go to therapy, doing therapy, I didn't have the wisdom or perspective to take care of myself in the way that I really needed then. Yeah. Isn't that Probably amazing? Lot, I mean, that's, I mean, that's how I, I did go to therapy for the first time for my eating disorder at 18, but like I went like twice and I, I didn't go back or I think, yeah, I think I only went twice. And then I, I started to kind of dabble in some therapy a little bit in college, a little bit in grad school, but like nothing that stuck in like, we're, we're here learning about these experiences, but, um, in my program, it wasn't, I don't know. It's just, I think there's so much cultural, um, non-acceptance of it, even still, I do think it's better, but this idea of like getting support and getting help is, um, I, I do believe it's better, but it, it's mm-hmm. still not where it needs to be. And even when we're a similar age and like, that was not normalized then I actually was like going to the counseling center in graduate school and I ran into my research mentor and there was two experiences with two different research mentors in grad school that like they were so uncomfortable with like the fact that I was like having emotion or going to therapy it just made me feel so much more shame I was like 
Right. You're like, this isn't cool. Like I totally regret this decision to take care of myself because it just made me feel like a garbage can. <laughs> it's just like hmm, shocking that we would like not be doing these things. And it's like, yeah. Definitely. And it- yeah. And I can remember in graduate school, even my peers almost like I don't know. It's like almost like, a, thankfully, this was 20 years ago, but it was kind of like a us them mentality. We're the therapists, they're the patients. And I do firmly yeah. believe that that has evolved a lot. Now I don't see mm-hmm. myself or my, like, I, I think that there's been a lot of growth and reducing stigma related to receiving mental health care over the last 20 years. Still, mm-hmm. you're right. There's, mm-hmm. there's a long way to go, but we've mm-hmm. made a lot of improvements to where it's a lot more socially acceptable to get paid support when you're struggling. Yeah, I would agree for sure. And going back to what you were saying about, you know, it sounds like just sort of like diet culture, even like diet culture, meaning the messages that like smaller is better, even if you're, um, and it it sounds like it really wasn't very explicitly discussed, although you could kind of tell your mom was dissatisfied with her body. Like, even if she wasn't, you probably, it's so easy, I think for people to be like the message I've gotten this message either implicitly or explicitly throughout my life that like small being in a smaller body is better. I'm not small compared to the, these main women that I'm around. And it's so easy to have that internalized um, and yet so debilitating to have that belief because as opposed to if we were teaching like body diversity is a fact and it's a beautiful thing and, and we're not ever really teaching that. We're kind of always teaching smaller is better, but under the guise of smaller is healthier because, which is not true. <laughs> and yet it's, it's just, it's, it's so, it keeps so many people, particularly women, like, like, can you imagine what, how life would have been different if like, that wasn't your experience for all of those years? It's no, I can't because like, I can remember back, like, um, starting in ninth grade, I quit wearing shorts. Like, that's just one example of the way that I interacted with my body as a young person, Mm -hmm. like, that young. I mean, the year I hit puberty, it was just like, oh, hell no, this is not going to work. I mean, that was, it was, this is unacceptable. No shorts for me. Like it just, you know, and that's just one example. Like the, it just like pervades everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just every, every preparing for our school dance, being a cheerleader. Like I was those things and my weight. It's interesting because still to this day, I can think back to certain events as a young person and remember what I was wearing. And it's because I was so fixated on my body that that Mm -hmm. like I I might not remember what I did that night. But if I like think back to that event, oh, that thing, I can remember my outfit. And it's because Mm -hmm. of my personal struggle with body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it like pervades everything and sort of it. I think of it as like a black sort of veil covering a lot of our experiences where it's like not like I don't know for you if it felt like there was still times when you were enjoying your life and there was still like you said like social relationships that were there that were good and and there was still good but it was like it's just shrouded by this this cloud that it it doesn't have to be that way right and yet it is for so many people so I so appreciate you sharing that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're welcome yeah it's such a private struggle it's not like I was even talking with my friends about it necessarily like it was just yeah so no I was living my life doing fine like I said academically and socially but it was mm-hmm. something that my brain was obsessing about 
And that just got worse from ninth grade in high school through senior year in college. That was just a slow progression to worse. And then, mm-hmm. you know, seriously, thank God, because I do feel like it was divine intervention that freed me from it because the move, like, it just changed me. I don't know exactly what happened, but it, I, I set myself free somehow. And I was just, mm-hmm. I didn't, like I said, I didn't do therapy. So I don't even really truly to this day understand exactly what freed me, but I'm thankful. Was it, for were it. you able to, at that time, sort of just like stop the restrictive binge cycle, like pretty naturally? Okay. Yes. Yes. It was very interesting. Like I, uh, starting my first year in graduate school, it's like, it just stopped and it's very hard for me to even explain it. It just stopped. And like my weight stabilized and like, I quit fixating on it. I don't know. That's why I said divine intervention. It's like, it just, I don't know. I really feel like the move, the space from the boy, um, the space from the, the, the bodies I had been consistently around seeing other perspectives on bodies and other shapes of bodies and sizes and all of that, just so much more diversity, you know, that I was experiencing day to day really helped. Yeah. And, um, you and I haven't specifically talked about this, but obviously I talk a lot about like intuitive eating and this idea of like, just getting in, being in touch with your body, eating things that help you to feel good, but not having judgment about like eating any foods. Do you feel like you are an intuitive eater at this point in your life? Do you feel like that? Like, would you describe yourself like that? Mm, I don't, because I don't do, like, I don't know a ton about intuitive eating. I I don't really, I don't really go into the weeds of it anymore because I just don't think it's particularly useful for my mental health. Like I like to just Uh kind of, so I guess I could tell you how I do it and you could tell me if I'm an intuitive eater. Sure. (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, I don't count calories. Um, I eat when I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I do choose foods that I've learned help me. I have a chronic pain condition. Um, so like I've learned over the last, I'm going to say five years specifically, but 10 years broadly gotten better over the last decade now to the point where it's pretty natural. Like I choose foods that, that reduce inflammation for me so that I'm in less pain typically day to day. And it's Mm -hmm. a very effective strategy. So it's Mm -hmm. truly become something that's worth it for me. And the results are motivating for me to choose foods that reduce my pain. Um, so I don't know if that would be intuitive eating. Um, yeah, everything that I've heard so far is consistent with intuitive eating. It's really, um, the main thing is just like, yeah, uh, a lot of times diet culture has us like internalized food rules or like, I shouldn't eat this or like judgments about yourself or what it means about you if you want a certain food. And, and so it, the main thing is if that is there, that wouldn't be as intuitive. Right. But like mm-hmm. everything you shared was consistent with intuitive eating mm-hmm. choosing foods that help you feel good is very consistent with an intuitive eating model. And, and really intuitive eating is just like normal eating. Like really, it's just like listening to our body. And, and so it's not actually this like complex thing that it just feels complex. Cause we often are taken away from it at some point in our life. And it, for you, mm-hmm. that happened pretty early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not to say that my, like my journey now is seamless and perfect. I mean, there are still times for me where like, uh, I'll notice that I'm eating food that like, maybe I feel like I feel like I ate too much that day. And I go to bed feeling overfull and kind of will notice some old thought patterns coming up, you know, just being like, ew, I made a bad choice. But like, I, I feel like the difference now though, is that I'm able to take that bird's eye view where I see myself having that experience as opposed to being in that experience. 
And so it doesn't like control me the way it used to. I see it as an experience I'm having versus like my identity about it, you know, and it doesn't stop me from like the next day. I don't know, eating whatever it is that I was going to eat that was gonna make me feel good. You know? Right. Yes. Yeah. I think that's all. Yeah. Very acceptance and psychological flexibility of, in terms of being able to like have those thoughts. And, and yeah, all of that like sounds, yeah, that it is interesting how like it, it truly is like disordered eating, uh, wherever it falls on the spectrum is truly often a symptom of something. And, and for you, it was like this kind of understanding to some extent where that symptom came from and what the cause was and like having a big environment shift allowed that symptom to essentially go away. And it sounds like from that point, being able to sort of just like, it's always like this iterative process of like figuring out how we're eating and and how to fuel our bodies and nourish our body is always changing too. It's not like you ever, I figured it out, but, but yeah, it does sound like, yeah, I would describe you as an intuitive eater from everything you said. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I would feel, feel good about that. Um, and so I would love to shift a little bit and talk about values clarification. Cause I think this is, is so important. And so let's just start with like, what is values clarification? Why should we care about it? Yeah. Well, it's everything. Okay. <laughs> All everything you need to know. Yes. <laughs> it's true. It is. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's the foundational framework for establishing a life that's in line with the things you care about so that mm-hmm. when the day comes that you die, because it's happening to all of us, mm-hmm. you know, you like, you're looking down and being like, I did good. You know, that's the only way, like, we've got to, yeah. we've got to clarify the things we care about in order to spend our time in a way that is aligned with what we care about essentially. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about like categories and characteristics. So values, categories. I mean, I'm talk- I'm preaching to the choir here with you, but I mean, yeah, the categories we're talking about, you know, intimate relationships, friendships, work, parenting, etc., community interaction, mm-hmm. hobbies, mm-hmm. self-care, exercise, whatever it is. All the categories that a person could potentially prioritize in their life. And then characteristics. So you're thinking about, I don't know, how do you want to show up? Do you want to be a loving person? Do you want to be a reliable person? Do you want to be whatever? Like, you know, we could have a list of thousands of characteristics that we want to show up as in our life. Mm -hmm. But like when I'm working with my clients, I really try to help them think about it as a season, right? Like, um, because I believe looking over the last 20 years of my life that my values have continued to evolve over time. So values are like this ever evolving guidepost that gives us direction whenever life is feeling like a shitstorm. you know, like it's, it, it's, it's the way to keep both of our feet on the ground, just regardless of what tough situation we find ourselves in. Um, so I usually encourage clients to like really clarify in their mind, the top three or four Um, both characteristics and categories that they want to plant their feet firmly in so that when the winds are gusting, they know which direction to face. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of like for me, yeah, like uh, my current, like in this current season, I like to focus on, um, as you know, extremely passionate about work. So while that is a top value of mine, it's matched equally by a true focus on caring for my physical and spiritual health so that I can stay healthy enough to show up authentically for the women that I serve. 
And then I have little kids at home. So I pair that with really trying to show up as a present mother. So like Mm -hmm. amid the craziness of life, which we're all spread thin and time is passing too quick. It's like when I'm feeling confused and lost, I'm going back to those specific desires that I know that if I died tomorrow, I would want to have focused on today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And from a like tangible standpoint, do you have them written down? Do you like in, um, I know we just went through Quinn's challenge and did a vision board. We have like a values vision board. Like, how do you remind yourself and ground? What does that look like? I know. Yeah. What does it look like for you? And I know mm-hmm. it can look different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, in my program, that's what we do. We actually do have like values, categories and characteristic lists that I'm having people seasonally assess mm-hmm. themselves on and like kind mm-hmm. of prioritize and order by number. Um, but for me, because I'm all up in that junk every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Kind of get the I don't, sense that it's in yeah, your, I don't it's write in your it head. down in that way yeah. every day. Um, but I'm daily cons- like uh, intentionally considering how I want to focus my time. Mm-hmm. And each morning I do a gratitude practice, which also helps to, uh, to nice. like really uh, highlight my intentions for the day, which are always values based. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the two ways. It's just an intentional focus. First thing in the morning, I pair that with like a prayer practice and a gratitude practice. I literally take out a notebook each morning and I write, thank you. And I like make a list every morning. I do that every day. And it is so helpful. That's so awesome. helpful. It like takes me from being like grouchy mom to like being like, oh, actually my husband is flipping amazing and my kids are healthy and what a blessing, you know, it's really powerful for me in in this season of my life. Yeah. There's so much data to support that. And I've done it on and off. I need to get back to it. I do think about it. I think through it sometimes, but, um, it's, it is powerful. And, and coming back to two, you mentioned sort of like when we, when we come to the end of our life, that's, um, I think important to highlight because that is something that like at least within acceptance and commitment therapy, I'm sure pretty much most therapies, I think have an element of this, but I learned about values clarification when we were trained in acceptance and commitment therapy. And I find that like a lot of people don't know, like this is a thing. And then when they do it, they're like, wow, this feels really, really helpful. But that is one way to do it is it sounds morbid, but this like idea of attending your own funeral exercise, right? Like that's in one of the the act books that um, Mm -hmm. I read in, in grad school, because that, and, and it's interesting too, to reflect on, um, I think when I'm at most in touch with my values is when I'm fearful of, um, loss or like the, the genetic risk of cancer scare for our family, or when something's going on with, with someone that I care about, like, that's when I get closest in touch with my values naturally. So I think of values clarification as like a, an exercise in like, not necessarily artificially, but like intentionally getting in touch with that, even if there isn't a, a crisis in your life. It, does that sound right to you? Sort of. Like- yeah, it does. Yeah. The book that you're talking about, I think is a get out of your mind and into your life by Dr. Yep. Steve Hayes. It's one of my favorites. Yep. I love it. Yes. Anybody who's listening should check it out. It's a really great work. Yeah. I'm actually personally going through it like three times. I just uh-huh. love that workbook yes. so much. It helps to reorient me to so the work. Good. Anytime I feel distracted or confused and I, and I really, really like it. 
Um, so that is helpful. Yeah. And I mean, just when it, the way he describes that exercise is like thinking about, okay, at your funeral, what would people actually say about you out loud? But then also what would they be thinking about you that they wouldn't say out loud? And then just Mm -hmm. assessing for yourself, what do you wish they would be thinking about you? Mm -hmm. And by allowing yourself to really go there and journal about that, you can get a lot of clarity around what type of person you want to show up as in your life currently. And that could illuminate your values in a way that you hadn't been able to articulate before. Yeah. Yes. I, I, and I, I love that. That's, that's really helpful. Cause I have gone through that too, but I forgot. And also it's interesting that you talk about um, like categories and characteristics. That's really interesting. Cause I, I usually talk about it in terms of categories, right? Like I value being a mom that's, and I guess I do kind of have characteristics within that description of like how I want to show up as a mom. So maybe it's sort of somewhat there, but, um, yeah, it's nice for it to be explicit so that you can really be clear with yourself. Like, okay, you want to be a present mom. What does that mean to you? Do you want to laugh a lot? You know, like when when your kid is ridiculous and hilarious, do you want (laughs) to laugh loud so that when they think back (laughs) about you, they're like, oh, mom thought I was thinking funny, you know, like, (laughs) It's worth noticing. I would like my kids to think I thought they were funny. Like, I I think that would be cool. Like, that's something I am always working toward, you know, and I want to be reliable. Like, if they think I'm going to pick them up at 2.30, I want to pick them up. I want to show up when they expect me. And if they need me emotionally, I want to be available. Like, I want to really look at them in the face, get on their level so that they can see, like, she's with me. She sees me. You know, I'm not going to try to make it all better. I want to see them as the human that they are. That's the mm-hmm. characteristics that I want to show up as, as a mom. So it's mm-hmm. like, you can go that extra level. Like I want to, my top value is being a parent, but what kind of parent do you want to show up as? And yeah. I think that's for everybody. I think that's so important because I think my brain sometimes um, tends to think about like tasks or something or like things to do with them like take them to the zoo. Right. And like, that's great. But like what you're saying, I think is even more important because I mean, obviously it's fine to take them to the zoo, but like, how do you want to be, if you're just taking the zoo and you're on your phone the whole time, like that's probably not actually what I want. Right. So it's how to clarify how you want to be in, in these relationships or within these values, I think is really important. And to like really be explicit about that because that, um, guides then how, how do you do that? Right. Like to be emotionally available, then it comes back to like, how do you do that? Right. How do you make sure in those moments when they do something funny, you're actually like ready to, to laugh with them. Um, and yeah, right. But it's all got to start from you asking yourself, like, how do you want them? And you're only doing this for things you top, your top values. Cause you can't do this for everything in your life. Otherwise you're going to be <laughs> flat as a pancake. Right. So it's like, you got to come down to just like boil it down get out the strainer and just leave in the important stuff. And then for those things, it's like, all right, how do I want in these experiences to show up? How do I want my kids to experience me after school in the afternoons? Yeah. If I die of cancer in three years, like, what do I want them to say about me? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want my kids saying she was always on her phone and computer. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not, and I'm not saying there aren't afternoons where that happens. I don't pretend to be perfect. I, by no stretch, I'm a huge work in progress, but I do know that that desire to be present by laughing when something's funny and not being on my phone does give me that it's that guidepost. It directs my behavior when things feel confusing. Do you feel like values clarification, like 
is usually somewhat emotionally painful or uncomfortable if we're doing it right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it pushes you, right? I mean, growth yeah. is always uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. we know that me and you personally are in the throes of that as we transition our lives right now for this new business endeavor. Right. We yeah. I mean, it's like, standing at the- <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? No, I'm just kidding. It is um, though. It's like standing at the edge of a cliff or like rolling up a roller coaster, knowing that you're about to come down. Like if you're going to do it in a way that feels mm-hmm. true and authentic, it's going to feel vulnerable and scary and even private and sacred sometimes. Like you're not sure how much you really even want to share with others because you don't want anybody getting yeah. up a girl about it, you know? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. We and, don't need other think, people's opinions whenever, when it comes to our values. For sure. Yes. And, and I think, um, and I know that's, yeah, something I want to touch on is like, how do you know if you're living for yourself versus for someone else? Um, but, but it, real quick, like this idea of like, cause for me, values clarification is almost always uncomfortable and emotionally uncomfortable. It brings up fears. It brings up doubt, but, and it brings up, like, sometimes I feel like I'm reflecting on it and I'm like getting tearful. And that I always say like, that means you're doing it right. Because you're, it's never like no one ever, I mean, maybe you reflect and you're like, I'm good. I'm consistent with all the ways I want to show up in my life. But usually it's, it is about like, growth and, and humans are innately wired for like growth. Um, and, and that keeps us alive. And so, and so, yeah, it's always like values is like that guidepost, like you said, of where I want to be. And when we highlight where we want to be, it always highlights the discrepancy, right. Of where we are now. And that's the painful part. Like I know actually this happened a lot last year when I was like, I'm working way too much. And I would step back and be like, I'm not showing up for like, my, even my, I think the most painful time at that, I was felt like I was showing up for my kids a little bit better at that time. But my husband, like he was having a hard time and I was like, not there for him at all because I was just like, so in it myself. And it's just so painful, but then that's that you can use that pain. You can kind of like, look at it and be like, okay, like that's immensely painful, but, but it's also instructive. It's also can, can tell me what matters to me, if that makes sense. Makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. Like in my program, that's exactly the third step. It's like, first you, first you understand your core, why then you get to your value, you know, your value characteristics and qualities, and then you go for it and you highlight discrepancies, you know, it's like, Oh, are you ready? Cause this mm-hmm. is going to hurt. Hang with me, you know, but that's exactly yeah. right. Like all of us are falling short of the ideal person that we aspire to be because mm-hmm. we're humans and we're flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, so that doesn't mean something's wrong with you, but the willingness to take a look at that honestly is a real sign of growth and wisdom, in my opinion, you know, and if you're willing to feel that discomfort, that that's when you can begin to take one step closer to the direction you want to move. If you're not willing to feel it or acknowledge it, then you're going to stay stuck. So you got to be brave. I mean, it does come down to a lot of sitting with discomfort, being brave. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like caring for yourself and respecting yourself and knowing that you're worth, you're worth this momentary pain, this temporary pain in order to show up. I mean, I believe we're all here for a purpose. Like if you're not willing to check in about that, you might miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how can we know if we're living consistent with our own values or our own purpose versus living for someone else? Yeah. 
I mean, for, you know, I, as I mentioned, I work now primarily with high achieving working moms, and I can share with you that in the experience of the people who are attracted to work with me, often the way that we know is um, feelings of taken, being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. um, feelings of irritability, fatigue, mm-hmm. uh, resentfulness, um, mm-hmm. anger, like those mm-hmm. types of strong emotions that come up inside of us that then you kind of want to feel shame about, or you want to like beat yourself up because you're feeling or mm-hmm. my, the alternative way that I would propose that a person navigate that would be to notice it and ask yourself why, like, what if we took those feelings as little like red flags, waving gently in the wind, inviting you to tune in and mm-hmm. say, okay, like hold the phone, like go down to the first floor. What's really going on? Because mm-hmm. often for us as high achieving women, it'll show up as anger and um, irritability, resentment or feeling taken advantage of. And that's the most common thing that I've seen in my work as in this group program. And then when yeah. you're willing to press pause and go down to the first floor, you can often say, oh, I get it. It's because like my boss has me doing six projects and four of them were actually like, you know, not something we agreed to. And I didn't speak up about that. And I'm feeling really spread thin because now I've missed my kid's soccer game the last two weeks in a row. And mm-hmm. one of my values is being present. I mean, I had promised him I was going to go and that felt really shitty, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I think it's often we have to start by being willing to even acknowledge the difficult feelings that are showing up inside of us and just investigating those a little bit further. Mm-hmm. just to see what's underneath them. Because often like we want to sweep them under the rug and feel bad at, about ourselves or having difficult feelings, but often our feelings are just an invitation yeah. to understand if we are or are not on right. a, a values guided path toward our purpose. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, can we get curious what's underneath the feelings of irritability or spread thin or anger, not feeling shame about that, but just like, let's get curious of like, what is there? And then you can know what to do potentially, right? Like it's sometimes there's things we can do and sometimes there's not, but, um, but you gotta go there to sort through it. Yeah. And I would say so often, like the way I think about this, this podcast, the external sources that we're often like fighting against would be, you know, diet culture that tells us like our bodies are bad, what they look, you know, and that I think can drive us to live for someone else, like seeking this approval, seeking this, like feeling good based on what society thinks is good. And, um, I think some of that is like, we don't even realize we're doing it. So some of it is like, probably what we do on this podcast is trying to just like, let's just look at this. Let's shine a light on it and realize like, what are you actually seeking? Cause a lot of times people will think they're seeking health when really they're seeking smaller body size. And so being able to like, that can be painful. I think like I spent all my time thinking, I, I think a lot of us, when we pursue health behaviors, we truly think we're trying to pursue health. Right. But it's so wrapped up in, in weight loss. And I think, um, so I feel like maybe that's one example of like, you end up living for someone else, meaning not one person, right. But you're living for like what society tells you. And a lot of times it can be maybe one person who made comments to you that that person's opinion, you're like living for them versus this values clarification in my program is everyone's favorite one, um, favorite module because, because it's powerful. And like, when we think about autonomous motivation, like it's all rooted in what matters to you. 
So yeah. Anyway, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. Just um, uh, the influences from our culture, from media, et cetera, can, can be the thing that we're accidentally living for without realizing it. It doesn't have to be your boss or your husband. It can literally be the expectations that are like societal. Yes. For like expectations for women in general and parenting, probably like, yeah, parenting, we put the Wait. two main categories, parenting and body shame are like, yeah. or parenting and body are like the two, I, I believe those are the two biggest shame triggers for women. Based yeah. On certainly Brown, sounds like it would be. Sounds right. Right. It sounds yeah. right. It sounds right. I think most of us would say at some point we've experienced both uh, regardless of, regardless of our histories. Yeah. Yeah. And if, um, if you were to give like, uh, a thought to people who want to just get started with this, but they kind of feel overwhelmed or feel like it's, um, would you give them any like takeaway or kind of tip to, to get started with like starting to clarify this if they want to dip their toe in? Mm-hmm. Well, I do think that workbook is a really cool place to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a low dollar yeah. investment that really can give you a nice thorough framework for it. That was a get out of your mind and into your life. You'll have to link that. Yeah. One. That's, that I is think a I really have that workbook. on my book, on my bookshop link. So we'll, I think it's on there. I think it's listed on there. Mm-hmm. It's, so good. it's a great, so. um, it's a great place to like get the umbrella view of values and how it can serve your yeah. life in a, in a, in a way to bring you closer to what you really do truly want for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just on a broad scale, just asking yourself the question, how do I want to show up in my life? Who do I want to show up as in my life? What characteristics do I want to bring to the situations that are important to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are great questions. What do I need to let go of to have the time to be present for the things I care about? Like yeah. just writing those questions down and journaling about them could be extremely yep. um, illuminating. It could give you a lot of information you didn't expect to get. So you got to yeah. be ready. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can speak to, do you want to speak to, before we do our final motivation questions, do you want to speak to like more recently things that you've been working on living? Like where are you at with like trying to live more consistent with your values recently? And how's that been going for you Summer? Yeah, it's a journey. It's a journey for mm-hmm. sure. And there's been chronic ups and downs, I'd say, you know, to be honest with it. I think um, mm-hmm. recently, as you know, my life has been in huge transition since COVID, as have many of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, my, the structure of my family has changed in terms of where we are day to day. We're all working from home now. Both of my boys are actually in school during the day. So me and my husband are home, the boys are in school. So just that's a huge change. Like we both worked out of the house before and the kids were still little enough to not be in school yet. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to run a brick and mortar private practice. Now I have an online group coaching program and no private practice. So there's been a huge amount of change that has happened in my life in the last year and a half. So the way that I'm living my values is evolving and it's looking different. But I will say that this transition has allowed me to actually create spaciousness for my values in a way I haven't experienced in decades. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's perfect because I am a workhorse. So I'm always navigating (laughs) that discipline to do less, Mm -hmm. but like I now consistently create space for gratitude practice, create space for prayer. Um, I pick up my kids every day from school now. And those are like things I valued that I haven't been able to successfully do in the past, even though I've desired to for a long time. 
So mm-hmm. I feel like overall I'm moving in the right direction, but that doesn't mean that some weeks is not, you know, just a dumpster fire. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's the nature of it. Right. It's like, we think we're going to, we have this illusion of getting there. And then I hate to break it to everyone, but like, that's not a thing. (laughs) You don't never really get there. You're just like always evolving. And I think values Mm -hmm. clarification is such a powerful way to have those guideposts and Mm -hmm. to be, get back to being grounded. And I think that I've watched you. You're a perfect example of that, of like always coming back to that, even when it's painful, even when you maybe don't want to take the space, like you do, you keep doing it and you keep making sure that you're, you're pointed in the direction you want to point, even if there's a lot of lefts and rights as you're getting there, which there always is. Yeah. It's always so messy, but I will say, and this is the truth on the weeks where I am more closely connected to my values, I feel so much more alive. Like yes. I feel such a, I feel so much less weight on my chest. Like I feel a lightness and an energy that mm-hmm. feels authentic, you know, and on mm-hmm. the weeks where I screw up really bad, or I really like, say I behave in a way as a parent, I don't feel proud of, or like really like go off the rails with like my morning gratitude practice or something. I really, I, it feels distinctly different. And I only say that to just let people out there know that you do get pretty quick wins with this. Like despite it being an uncomfortable thing to approach, it truly is worth it. And it's not like you've got to wait six months or a year to start seeing the benefit. Like on the days where I'm true to myself, that day feels better. Like it's, yes. it's, it's a pretty quick turnaround on gain. So it kind of yeah. gives you momentum. It gives you like, yeah. when you start getting this evidence that it's actually helpful, it mm-hmm. kind of propels you to keep coming back to it. And the more, I mean, now I have so much evidence that it's helpful that Mm -hmm. I don't imagine myself ever fully straying away from it permanently because it's just now I've got too much. I've accumulated so much data. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, I've learned a lot. No, that's a, such a good point. I love that. I'm just like, yeah, you can learn to like, you can enjoy the journey. It's not like just you, you can have moments where you're like, I'm seeing these shifts. So that's, that's super cool. Thank you for sharing that. And so, um, We'll, we'll transition now to our motivation questions, or actually we have three questions that we've been asking our guests. So what is one thing you truly have intrinsic motivation for? So you do the behavior for the inherent satisfaction of it, enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying in its own right. Mm-hmm. I, I had, I've, I tried to think about a lot of different answers for this when I saw the question, but I guess I'll say the one that's just the truest, even though it's the most one, the one I wish wasn't the truest it's work. Mm -hmm. It's work. Like I, I wish that I kind of wish it wasn't the case for me. I kind of wish I had a more cool answer, but like I am intrinsically motivated to work. I love it. I want to work for fun. You know, it's rewarding. It's challenging. I love it. I want to do it constantly. So I'm having, uh, that's my struggle is always mm-hmm. putting limits on the work because it's not the only value that I have. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's a ton, we're friends. <laughs> right. I have a ton of intrinsic motivation for work. I mean, I do. And when yeah. I'm not like other intrinsic motivation is like learning and that's so nerdy and boring, but it's true. Like if I have free time, I want to read, I want to listen. Like, I just want take in, give me all the things and let me write about it. Let me write an article about it. That's going to be so fun. <laughs> And don't interrupt me, anybody. (laughs) Right. It's so validating. This is why we've become such good internet friends, because like it feels it's 
just validating because that's just very yeah, I similar mean, I to can my travel experience for like a week by myself and just take in knowledge like to me that would yeah. be so nourishing I would just I would love it and then I would yeah. need to come back like I do there's this I am a social person too but I really yeah. get energy from quiet time where I'm taking in and that yeah. feels so rejuvenating to me so that's very intrinsically motivating yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, I understand there's some struggle with trying to balance that, but like, yeah, that's a good thing. And, uh, and why you're so good at what you do. So, um, the next question is from should to a choose to. So this is what we call integrated motivation, an example of a behavior that was always more of a should for you that you struggled to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently because you value it and, or as part of your identity, even if you don't always love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for this one, um, it really is related to more of my body and weight and um, food, all of that, because if I think about as a young person, I mean, I was doing a ton of restrictive dieting. I mean, I can remember like, oh, I need to save my calories so I can go to the bar tonight and drink. Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one who did that, but I legit did that for years. Like I would mm -hmm. not eat all day except like a bag of frozen broccoli with spray butter on it and then mm -hmm. like drink. I don't know way too much. I can't mm -hmm. drink it all now, but that's a whole nother uh -huh. thing. <laughs> uh -huh. But yeah. like, so, I mean, that obviously has problems. And over yeah. the last 20 years, 10 specifically five, very, very intentionally, like I've really, um, like now I choose to eat in a way that feels comfortable in my body and brings me like, um, less pain physically. Mm -hmm. And I do that because it, um, because it's worth it. Like I'm again, it's another thing where now I really do see the benefit and now it has become part of my identity to eat this way. It's not a struggle anymore. Yeah. I've chosen it as a valued activity and I've seen the benefits. And, and when I stray away, I, I feel like I, I'm more sick to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like I feel physically mm -hmm. less well. Um, yeah. but when I'm consistent with eating in a way that nourishes that, you, that nourishes, that nourishes me, right. Then, um, yeah. then it's good. Nice. Sounds good. Um, and then lastly, a part of our, or a main part of our mission at the psychology of wellness and on this podcast is teaching women to reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live courageous and connected lives. Can you share any examples where you've been able to be more courageous and, or connected since jumping out of the ineffective diet and or disordered eating cycle? Yeah. I mean, I think almost in every area of my life, like over, um, like definitely in relationships, I'm more authentic than I previously was because it wasn't just with eating that I isolated and kind of like put on a facade. It was also just with pain in general. Like I can remember during that transition period when I moved out to Tulsa and um, started eating, like my kind of lost some of those problematic behaviors that were keeping me sick. Like I, that kind of just naturally went away. But what didn't go away was this desire to like hide pain that I was experiencing. Um, I can, I can remember then, um, like even on my most lonely, hard days, like not reaching out to anybody because I didn't want them to somehow think I was weak or broken or whatever things were running through my mind. But mm -hmm. as I've like continued to grow and shift and get healthier with the way that I re relate to my body and, and my identity, um, I'm able to, I'm able to connect more authentically with people that I, that I trust. I'm, I'm a pretty cautious person. I don't just trust flippantly, but if, once I build trust with somebody now, I'm, I am willing to be vulnerable and share difficult experiences that I'm having. And that's a change for me. And that that's not just with the relationships. Um, I mean, I've gained courageousness when it comes to work as have you like, 
you know, it's taken a lot of courage to shift from a one-on-one behind the doors of a, clo- of a therapy room, which is very private. It feels safe versus now being out there in the world where people can judge your every word, your every action uh, and not really knowing what's to come yeah. from it. You don't know people's reactions and you don't know if it's going to be a sustainable business model. So it's like, there's a lot of mm-hmm. risk involved that takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, through me getting healthier with my relationship with my body and relationship with my own mind, like I've been able to continue to be more and more courageous. For sure. Yeah. I think that that's a perfect example of like, I always think of like the ripple effect of like getting one woman out of this cycle and how much she can influence so many others. And you are absolutely an example of that, right. Of just like, you would very, you certainly wouldn't be like sharing these stories if you were still in it probably. And, and so by sharing it's and and of course sharing along with like all of the evidence-based tools that you share it's like this this super cool combination of like how you can impact people and I think again if we think about there's a lot to be pessimistic about in the world but we think about like the ripple effect and the optimistic fact of like if we can get more people out of whether it's like the, the diet cycle or just like the shame like anxiety cycle that you work primarily with like how much that will free up people to do the work that they, they were meant to do in the world. So I 100%. appreciate you sharing Yeah. That. And when, you're so welcome. And I've, that's been one of the coolest things about doing this group program is like watching in my live interactions, like in group and live groups that we do is yeah. watching other women, like almost just melt when they're watching a, a peer share their pain. It's like, you see in the, you see in the group members faces, just this relief and validation and comfort and safety come over them of just like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not broken. Okay. I'm not, I'm not weird. This is not me being like a crazy person. Like this is amazing to finally know after all these years. Right. Yeah. Cause like, even as therapists, you can tell people like all day that that's a normal experience and common experience, maybe not Mm-hmm. Well, we shouldn't normalize Typical. like pain, but it's very common. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. So, and, mm-hmm. and along that line, where can people learn more about you and, and find out the work that you're putting out into the world and connect with you and learn more about your program? Yeah. Um, Dr. Summer Lede on Facebook and Instagram. And um, I have a get present bootcamp challenge that people can check out if they just go to summerlade.com forward slash bootcamp. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Summer. This has been an incredible conversation and I so appreciate you. Anytime, Sean. Good to talk with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Just a final reminder that if you've been listening for a while and you want to learn more from me, hang out with me live, learn about intuitive eating and a nine diet approach, make sure that you sign up for our free masterclass, the top five questions I get about intuitive eating and a non-diet approach. The top one being, but will it help me lose weight? So make sure if you're not already signed up that you do so and you can get all of the free bonus content that I give away only during the live masterclass. So Make sure you sign up for free at drshawnhondorp.com forward slash masterclass, and I will see you there. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. 
Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.